Hello everyone, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. I am Jeremy Graves, back once again to talk more episodes from Transformers Season 2. But as per usual, I cannot do this alone. So let's bring in, let's say today, if he is Laserbeak, I am Buzzsaw. It is the one and only Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how the devil are you doing today? Yeah, I'm fresh from a week of spying on Teletran and the Ark. <laughs> Because apparently I'm Laserbeak and that is all I do every day. But the key thing though, Andy, is you do it successfully. Yes, yeah, I do. Un unlike any Autobot attempt at, uh, <laughs> at espionage, I'm actually quite good, apparently. <laughs> See, Autobot espionage would be a great name for an episode. <laughs> it would. Though. Good good band name, episode name, you name it. It's, it's... You can have that one for free. Dear listeners, <laughs> there's got to be like a chip, a, a chip tune band or something, who's like called themselves <laughs> that. I mean, that, now I'm thinking of like Chip from Transformers having a chip tune band, and it's perfect, <laughs> freaking perfect. Folks, thank you very much for checking out the episode today. If you are a first-time listener, thank you very much for giving us a chance. Be you listening to the podcast form which is available on the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or if you are checking out the video version of the podcast on YouTube by searching for Starscream's Ghost on YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, if you actually want to watch the episodes that we are discussing, you can, 100% legitimately, at the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. It's actually there where we are watching the episodes, and it also dictates the order that we are viewing the episodes as well. Of which, Andy, today... We've got four more episodes to cover, that being episodes 25 to 28 of Season 2, with the following episode titles. Make Tracks, The Autobot Run, The Golden Lagoon, and Quest for Survival. Let's get into sort of some overall general thoughts, Andy, before we go in-depth. Brief overview on what you thought of this selection of episodes today. I think taken as a chunk of four episodes, this might have been kind of the weakest batch we've had overall, which is not to say that any of these episodes are bad. They're just all kind of workmanlike. This is just sort of Transformers paying the bills. Um, and, you know, having had some really interesting episodes and recently we've had some really interesting two-parters, these are all just kind of by the numbers. You kind of know what you're going to get, know what to expect from them. And, you know, there's there's some fun stuff to them, but none of them really kind of stood out to me as, like, particularly memorable was kind of my takeaway from these. As has been the case with some other episodes that we have been discussing on recent podcasts, I think there were some really great conceptual ideas on these episodes. Not necessarily all hit with a home run, but some of the stuff they came up with was actually really interesting, but the actual execution of it probably could have been a bit better thought out. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's fair as well. Like, there's there's definitely some some cool little concepts here that, again, sometimes you're just like, ah, I wish these episodes were a bit longer so it could flesh them out properly, and sometimes it's just, a, yeah, it, it feels like maybe decent idea, but they weren't too sure what to do with it. I'm not sure of the production order when it comes to these episodes specifically, but this, I think one or two of the episodes feels like an example where maybe these would have been a bit later in the chronology, in theory. Because there are some, some significant things that happen, especially in the Golden Lagoon, which kind of feels like it should be far bigger of an episode than it actually ends up being. And in a, it just it, it's a story that's one and done, pretty much. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd have thought a story that involves all of the Transformers becoming invincible and finding a way to be invincible would be kind of a big deal. But yeah, it, it turns out not not quite so much. But uh, I guess we'll get onto that. Indeed. So you know what? It's a perfect time to get to the first episode, Andy. So let's do just that. On to episode 25 of season two, Make Tracks. We begin with a nighttime shot panning over a city skyline that we come to find out is in fact New York City, with buildings labelled with the following department stores, Andy, providing I could actually read the text on screen correctly. A story. Appliances. Victoria Hot. Lido. All caps, LIFE LIFE. Canadian Club. Otterate 101. (laughs) As well as I think they said Toshiba and Adidas, but they may have been like some kind of faux versions of those, but I'm pretty sure that's what I saw on screen. Yeah, I've got to admit, I I didn't pay that much attention to it, and I I wish I did, because yeah, like if if we know anything from like, you know, Japanese sourced animation, they do love a good sort of like ridiculous English name for some random thing in the background, whether it is your your off-brand like Yoshiba or whatever they end up going with, or, or Life Life. Um, which, you know, everyone's favourite brand, um, but that's always always a fun time. And, by the way, as a foreshadowing of later, like, things that turn up in the background on buildings, kind of important in this episode, as it turns out. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be diving into that quite a bit later, everybody, so you can certainly stay tuned for that. But I am curious, and admittedly, I probably should have looked this up before we started recording, I'm wondering if a story is meant to be... What's that famous hotel in New York? Is it the Astoria Waldorf? Yeah, I, I suspect that's probably... That's prob- probably either a deliberate, like, well, we can't call it that literally, so we'll change a letter again in that typical Japanese animation way, or somebody half-remembered what it was called on the production staff. was like, yeah, I think it's the story or something. I don't know. English isn't my first language. Um, but, uh, yeah, I suspect that one was deliberate. I'm, I'm, I'm actually more curious about... The the others that are kind of like I can't I mean Victoria Hot is probably some kind of like Victoria's Secret kind of mm. off offshoot but some of the others I'm like ah there's probably there's probably some kind of like basis in those but I couldn't tell you what they are so write in if you know what they were trying to riff on with those and also a perfect time to actually mention on that front Andy that if you do want to write into us we are on Twitter and Instagram we are at StarScreamsPod and you can even drop us an email at StarScreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. Yeah, exactly. If, if, if you are a, a representative of Toshiba or Adidas and would like to sponsor us, uh, you know you know how to get in touch with us now. <laughs> and if you've got big shoes, they'll come in handy, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you can have the big shoes, I'll have the big TV. But fair. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that, honestly. I'll take that. So from the panning skyline that we get, we then go to, let's say, a more seedy-looking end of New York City, with a couple of punks, literally punks, taking a liking to a blue car. That looks pretty familiar, it's got to be said, Andy. One of the punks going, Yo, man, check it out. These wheels are rude. (laughs) Just love dialogue like that. They proceed to break in and commandeer the vehicle. They even find a familiar-looking boombox in the back of the car as well. They end up taking the car to an acquaintance of theirs by the name of Winston. Just great name for a punk. Who gives them $800 for the car. 
Can you tell I was on a bit of a proper note-taking frenzy today, guys? <laughs> but at that point, the familiar blue car transforms, and of course, it is Trax. After seeing this, the punks all try to escape, but Blaster then makes his presence known, blocks the way, and then even Optimus Prime makes an appearance to ultimately block them off, allowing the police to capture... I say capture all of them, arrest all of them. That's the correct word. Uh, the, the police even go so far as to saying... Thanks to you, our Crime Buster program is a smashing success. And then the Autobots head for Spark Plug's garage. Now, when this is said, Andy, my first thought is, wait a minute, Spark Plug ain't got a big garage if he's in New York City. I, I mean, I feel like now we know why he's like flying around wearing a fancy suit in that other episode. <laughs> like he's probably just visiting one of his like million incredibly like sumptuous and luxurious garages because I was expecting from that that oh we're gonna go to some little kind of you know some some little local garage that does you know so maybe some does some dodgy stuff to your speedo if he's slipping 50 quid under the till um but like no he has he has quite the garage like I don't know what the Autobots are paying like as consultancy fees to like spike and spark plug but it seems like he's doing all right <laughs> Yeah, because this garage, it turns out, can hold, like, 200 cars. It's a glorified car park. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, quick random additional note for you, because I was doing, like, a, some note-taking for what we're going to be talking a bit later on, as it were, some research. Would you like a fun fact about the music that Blaster was playing during that opening scene? Um, yeah, was, was it actually made by David Bowie or something? Oh, if only, right? If only. <laughs> no, so according to IMDB, where I got this quote from, the song being played on Blaster when the thugs steal uh, he and tracks is Cold Sliver, quote-unquote, a song written and performed by the Dreadnoughts in an episode of G.I. Joe. Ah, uh, well, there you go, yes. The, the, the G.I. Joe Transformers music... Rip-off slash crossover, delete as applicable, can, uh, continues. Mate, there's so much of it. Like, I could tell you every single song, like, where it happens in G.I. Joe, pretty much. It's really yeah, funny. Yeah, it, it, is, it is kind of uh, amazing. And then, hey, like, it's not something unique to, to Transformers and that as, as well. Like, you know, uh, especially, like, you know, musicians for, like, background music quite often riff on their own material for other series. Like, you know, you can find it in anime and everything else where you're like, this sounds really familiar. Or maybe they just change a few notes and it's, uh, you know, hey, if you've, done, if you've made something good, why not make the most use of it possible? So as it turns out, like we said, it is indeed a garage that they go to with a boatload of cars inside. I probably could have said a whole bunch of cars, but whatever, that worked. With Sparkplug working on one of them. Seemingly, the Decepticons have been laying low as Teletran, Spark says, hasn't reported any issues. Then they go through an almighty giant door in Sparkplug's garage to reveal, seemingly, a new Autobot base complete with a Teletran inside. Now, Andy, normally on, the, on our bingo card that we have on each podcast, we say a new Decepticon base. We might have to change that now to a new Transformers base. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got to give the Autobots credit after just... Because, I mean, we have sort of bemoaned them a bit that they've, they've been very, you know, very um, lacking in, in any kind of ambition in terms of their real estate plans compared to the Decepticons that have been, you know, always on the move, always upgrading. 
And I suppose, like, fair play to them that they finally decided that, you know, now that they're cops, apparently, um, they, they need they need a, a second home in New York. So, sure, why why not? And, and again, Sparkplug seems to be the major beneficiary of this. So, good, good, <laughs> good for him. Inside this new base, we get some dialogue between the Autobots that indicates specifically that Trax is really enjoying life in NYC. But perhaps the auto- other Autobots aren't so much. Prime then tasks Power Glide and Cosmos to patrol the skies and Sea Spray. Who? Sea Spray? Where the heck did he come from? I don't know, but he's told to patrol the rivers. I will also note that uh, I instantly loved Sea Spray Andy because the way his dialogue comes out, it's like he's underwater because it turns out he's a hovercraft. So his first line of dialogue, I'm going to try and replicate this as well. This will be funny for the video viewers. It's just something like, Well done, Prime! <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually, it's one of the things that this, this episode, for some reason, particularly brought it to mind, that I really appreciate kind of the breadth of voices in this show. Like, and again, as, as a kid who only really watched season one, like, of course, you know, what Optimus Prime sounds like and Wheeljack and Ironhide, etc, etc. But when you get that extended cast, it's like Trax has a really good voice, like Red Alert last week had one. And then, yeah, you've got like Cosmos and Sea Spray that have kind of somewhat comical voices. Um, and, you, you know, there's a real there's a real depth and breadth to like the voice cast just not turning up and just being like, ah, oh, just run me through the robot voice filter. I'll just do my normal voice. Like, there's there's actually a lot of effort goes into them. Even if some of them are kind of goofy, I do appreciate of just like, you know, you can, and again, like later on here, we sort of get some beachcomber and stuff and they all have really good distinctive voices. They're not all just like robot man number 42. Yeah, there there aren't any that feel like they're just almost carbon copies. Each one yeah. does feel very distinctive. Yeah, no, nobody is phoning it in here, and I, and I do appreciate that. A random note, actually, because when I was doing, again, more research for what we're going to talk about a bit later in this episode, uh, apparently the, the part where Trax said like he's really loving life in NYC, apparently that was actually almost some kind of tedious link into a marketing campaign convincing people to move to New York. <laughs> back in like I mean, the mid to late 80s apparently that's that's true so i mean if there's one thing this episode does not do it's convinced me that i want to move to new york <laughs> like i actually made a note of this of just like other other right is this entire episode just a dig at new york because it really like tries to show the worst sides of this it's like you know there's all these punks and criminals like you know everyone's just ditching cars in the in the river like there's a lot of stuff in here that just feels like a kind of somebody on the writing stuff just like oh man i went to new york once and i hated it or like he lived there for a while and hated it and just wanted to make clear just how much he hated it in this episode so <laughs> if they legitimately tried to tie this in to some kind of like promotion maybe not the best episode to choose for it, i would say the only thing they enjoyed was going to club life life <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> At this point, Trax is not enjoying how stuffy it is inside and decides he wants to go out and get some city air. I I disagree with this assessment, Trax, personally. <laughs> Speaking as someone who's lived in many cities, I disagree with this. While driving around, Trax is suddenly confronted by three humans at gunpoint trying to carjack him, saying the Gettys brothers will pay a lot for this car. That's when they realise nobody's driving the car, but in the melee of trying to escape, one of Tax's 
Trax's tyres, that's a good tongue twister, is shot out and he crashes into a lamppost and his bonnet is wrecked. He can't transform as a result. Someone else who literally not until about halfway through the episode we eventually find out is named Raul finds him and intends to fix the car up but is quite shocked when Trax actually begins talking to him because you know talking cars aren't really a thing in reality. After getting over the initial shock of this being a talking car, Raoul is intrigued to fix him up even more so, but in the process manages to cut a wire that we come to find out actually acts as the main sort of, I'll say, conduit to tracks being tracks, i.e. his computer and like output and stuff. It's his power source effectively. And then as a result, tracks powers down. However, Raoul quickly fixes this and rectifies it. We then cut to Sea Spray, the hovercraft previously mentioned, who who doesn't have much going on to say the least, except for helping the city council remove a car from a river, as Andy alluded to. <laughs> Elsewhere, Cosmos and Power Glide also have nothing to report, aside from a traffic jam in the city centre because of an accident. Of course, when they go by the traffic jam, conveniently we see that Huffer and Hoist are stuck in this jam and end up helping to clear it up. I've got to say, Andy. If there was ever an indication that perhaps when they wrote this episode, they weren't that inspired, having Autobots stuck in a traffic jam <laughs> might be up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is this is pretty pretty low key, and and the the thing with that is the thing that really blew my mind about that is like Hoist is driving Huffer, and I don't <laughs> understand how that works. Like I realize. Transformers plays fast and loose a lot with, like, you know, sort of matter, kind of, you know, re the resizing, like, you know, Megatron, big robot, little gun. But also, but I'm just not sure that that's supposed to, like, translate to, like, you know, an Autobot can just get in one of the aut other Autobots and drive it. And if that is the case, why have they not done that up until this point? <laughs> yeah, especially given that Huffer is literally one of the shortest Autobots. <laughs> yeah, well, especially, yeah, from, from a, like, toy perspective, like, he's tiny, so it just, like, it makes it doubly baffling, and that that felt like a real weird, like, oh, this is, surely it was in the series Bible that you're not allowed to do this when you're, like, animating these guys, but, it, it, again, felt like this was maybe the point where they maybe didn't care too much about those sort of continuity points. Now, I mentioned that Trax was sort of going through the city centre and whatnot. Trax is now all fixed up, and Raoul is now thinking of not handing him over to the Gettys brothers. And at that moment, we get our first glimpse of said Gettys brothers, because they were promised a car by midnight, and the kid hasn't delivered. The brothers are what I would best describe as just very stereotypical New York gangsters from any cartoon, or probably any TV show at this point, that you've seen. One wearing a purple suit, the other wearing brown. They say something to the effect that the kid is going to learn what happens when you break promises. I, we're going to chuck you in a river. <laughs> At this point, Trax appears now able to transform, helps out Raoul and the brothers escape, saying, saying, interestingly, quote unquote, they, we thought those robots were on our side. What does that mean? Trax is also intrigued by this, and they end up chasing them through the city centre. With they go by Andy, I believe it was called Club Casablanca Abba Cafe, <laughs> and all sorts of places, including a cinema 
which has a particular thing mentioned on it, Andy. Now, I'm going to say this now, Andy. Do we want to talk about this now, or should we wait until we get to the end of talking about this specific episode to get onto this? No, I, I think let's 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 talk about this now. Let's uh, talk about it in context, because to be honest, it is probably the most interesting thing about this episode for me, because <laughs> I, I had to like... It was, you know, that, that, that typical moment where you do a double take and you're just like, I think I saw that, but did I see that? And I had to like reverse through this episode a couple of times to double check that I actually saw what I thought I saw. And, and I, I did. I did see the thing. Now, if you're watching the video version, you can actually see what we're about to talk about, as it were. So you will notice, and if you're watching the episode, you will have seen a cinema that quite literally says, The Transformers, the movie, and then ironically on the other side of the sign, The Transformer, singular, the movie. <laughs> now, th this is particularly interesting, Andy, because Transformers, the movie, doesn't... like. We don't know if it's actually been announced at this point, based on looking on the internet and stuff, but this ain't out until the year after. Yeah, so my, my assumption for this is because, yeah, like, I think this episode broadcast in, like, early November 1985, and Transformers the movie was, like, August 1986, so I assume, I mean, certainly it would have been in production by that, that point, because there was a part of me that was just like, oh, is this just some, like, weird accident where somebody as a joke thought, <laughs> imagine if they made us make a Transformers film, um, which would have been absolutely hilarious if that was the case, but I suspect it was probably already in production and probably some of the people working on this episode were probably doing some production work even if it was early on for this film um so i suspect it probably would have been announced to some degree i mean again it's this weird sort of you know these days the whole internet knows when a, a new film is announced because you have the internet whereas like in the 80s you know it would probably have, you'd have, have had like a press release to some like print magazines um and like because I don't even remember like you know as somebody who bought like the Transformers comic on the regular I don't remember them ever having like a big article of like they're making a Transformers film like that was all again I guess you know because it was for like kids you didn't really want to tell people about it until you were actually starting to promote it directly and you know sell the toys sell cinema tickets so I don't remember there ever being an announcement of like oh hey they're making a Transformers film which I, I maybe it did happen I just can't remember um but uh, so like I, I wonder if for, for you know I, I and especially like on old school TVs like remember we're watching this in like you know 1080p basically on an HD TV I wonder how many kids were watching this on probably a small TV at home, like, you know, after school or whenever this aired in the US, like, how many people actually notice this and be like, ha, oh, Transformers the movie? Like, because, you know, it probably wouldn't even have been that obvious, because it's a pretty quick pan across this shot. Like, it's only really in frame for, like, a, a couple of seconds, and you kind of get to see a little bit of it in a later shot, but you don't get to see that entire shot that we can see on the video version here. So, like, I wonder how much of it was even just a kind of, even if it hadn't been announced yet, the animators were just like, ah, nobody will ever notice, so it'll be fine. Yeah, so in doing a little bit of digging around on various websites, here's, here's like a few things that might help or not help in terms of where things were at. So this episode, you mentioned it aired in late 1985. Uh, I've got it noted as being October 1985, with its initial first draft and revisions completed by mid-March that same year. Now, the writing 
for the Transformers movie I'm talking about now, sorry. The writing for the first outline of the script didn't start until mid-August, the year prior, 1984, and was seemingly signed off to some degree by April or early May, 85. And then it looks like that all the storyboarding was completed for the film by December, 1985. Now, the main dialogue sessions... Uh, the dialogue recording, I should be more specific on, took place in mid-September 1985. So the film was was 100% already in production when this episode was being conceived, made, however you want to phrase it. So it may have just been a random thing of, do you want to put a thing in there? Or does it, this might just be a ridiculous Easter egg in, in that way. But like you say, on old TVs, how many people would have noticed it? Yeah, like that's that's the thing. This is where I feel like this was maybe just like snuck through by the animators or whatever. Because you know, if you wanted to use it as a promotional thing for kids to be like, "Oh wow, look, there's a Transformers movie playing in this episode," um, then you would have made it a real kind of centerpiece of that scene. Whereas it it doesn't really it doesn't really get that treatment. I mean, the, the crazy part of that for me is the idea that you know they were already kind of starting work or at least they'd sort of basically greenlit the idea of a film of a Transformers movie in 84 because it's like you know that sort of season one kind of territory um where I kind of assumed that it would have been later than that it would have been you know kind of early 85 might have been when they started talking about it alongside season two but the, the fact it was sort of before that is actually pretty pretty interesting that it was always kind of on the table um and i, I know it, it went through quite a lot of revisions and various different ideas as to what a transformers film should be but that's that's kind of kind of fascinating but uh but yeah as as to the the, the genesis of this i especially given that they've like misspelt it on one of the two panels it just feels kind of throw away as if somebody was just like having a goof of just like we know something you don't and you know it, it either nobody higher up even noticed or they saw it and was just like ha, that's, that's a good one we'll let that stay yeah it is it is genuinely really fascinating and we'll never know the answer most likely as to whether this was meant to be a really really subtle tease for something to come, but you never know. But I mean, if they started work on this in '84, that's a good, roughly. I mean, when did it come out in the US? Was it August '86? Yeah, yeah, it's the, the summer of '86. Yeah, so that's a good couple of years. So that in terms of a timeline for making a film, it's not at all off. And I also love the fact as well because you sometimes forget that they recorded the dialogue before they even animated it. Just like a random detail like that. I always love that when it comes to animation. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, certainly, you know, there would have been a decent chunk of, of kind of like pre-production at the very least being done by kind of October, November 85 to, to kind of, you know, get to, to work on that. So, uh, I mean, I feel like what they, they really could have done here if they really wanted to go all in is to, to have a little stop of like tracks being like, I'm going to go to the cinema. And then they, he goes <laughs> and sees the trailer for Transformers the movie. But maybe <laughs> that would have been a bit too much. Can you imagine if they'd have done that? People would have lost their minds if that had happened. They, they, they would. But uh, it was, it was a simpler time for promoting things, I guess. I mean, ain't that the truth? <laughs> so from there, everyone, Tracks and Raoul lose track of them, but then Tracks actually then takes to the sky because he can fly. Let's not forget, much to Raoul's shock, 
And uh, speaking of Raoul, this is actually at this point when we actually finally find out his name because they both introduce themselves to each other. They manage to catch up with, with the two Gettys brothers, but lose them in a warehouse district. Trax is angry because he's got a feeling that they might be working with the Decepticons because they mentioned robots in the scene that I mentioned earlier. But as the brothers are trying to take over the hot car business, as Raoul puts it, why would they want cars? Why are they stealing a bunch? Raoul takes Trax to a bridge that crosses the Hudson River into Jersey. At that moment, Powerglide spots Starscream, and we then get a fun dogfight through the streets of New York that takes them, Andy, you were talking about continuity in terms of perhaps taking liberties with the size of Transformers, because they go into a shopping mall at this point. <laughs> and you could say some liberties were taken at this point, because I don't think there are doors that big in real life in New York City. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty pretty sure that is not how that works. I mean, again, Power Glide you could maybe just about imagine as a small plane, but even that stretching thing, Starscream, yeah, definitely, definitely not happening. Starscream ultimately escapes, apparently, according to the dialogue, in a southwesterly direction. <laughs> Why did I take all these notes? Possibly towards Jersey or the Pine Barrens. I'm not up on American geography, so I don't know if that's a real place. I'm just going to assume it is. Uh, where's that? They're going to find out. We then cut to a giant structure, which if I had to describe it, Andy, I've gone with it looks like two Death Stars from Star Wars just connected to a tower with a bunch of cars going inside. Yeah, yeah, not, not inaccurate. <laughs> and it turns out the Gettys brothers are indeed working with the Decepticons and have delivered 500 stolen cars to Megatron for a promised $1,000. Now, Andy... I know that, like, the value of money has changed a heck of a lot since 1985, but 500 cars for $1,000, it seems a little bit of a bad deal. Well, especially when we've already had, like, a context set earlier in the episode where they were saying that Trax was worth $800 on his own. Like, if one car is worth $800 and they're, like, providing hundreds for $200 more, like, you know... I'm no businessman, but I think that might be a really bad deal for them. <laughs> Maybe it's one of those deals where they thought, let's do this job for them so we could be in with them forever kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there probably is like some attempts for that to be the wider context of, you know, there's going to be something else in it for them. But yeah, episode doesn't really do a good job of, of explaining that if that is the case. Should be noted that predictably, Megatron ain't gonna pay and just scares them away and they, they scarper off. And I don't think we see them again, actually, come to think of it. At this point, we discover that Trax's radio is damaged, so he can't call for help. But that doesn't stop him heading to the conveyor belt that, that the cars that have all been gathered up are all lined up on, where a Constructicon is literally chopping them in half. Trax then saying, I have no desire to be carved up into auto sushi. At which point, he can't escape because that cable that got cut earlier by Raoul that I mentioned, it's conveniently kind of come loose again and his computer shorts out. Oopsie. <laughs> However, at that point, Raoul realises that there is something wrong, runs up to the conveyor entrance, because this guy's got balls apparently, where Megatron, Soundwave and Starscream are, saying, what are you doing to my car? Megatron, confused and in a threatening manner, just calls Raoul's bluff, but Raoul says he's got an anti-stripping device in the name of a bomb. 
Because yeah, I mean, wh- why not? Why why wouldn't he have a bomb in his car? I mean, a common a common New York thing is you know just carry a bomb around in your vehicle. Megatron then says to him, "Right, everyone, stop the freaking conveyor belt. Go and fix your car and disconnect that bomb, human." So he goes to the car. He conveniently reconnects the cable, and that brings tracks back online. As you can imagine, a firefight ensues, but they are outnumbered, and they make tracks. No, oh, this is a bad bit of wording from me. Tracks makes tracks through the forest. <laughs> with Ravage, I mean, it's right there, it's right there in the episode title. So. Yeah, right there you go. <laughs> with Ravage and Rumble in hot pursuit, but Tracks is low on power. He transforms and is going to fight them, but ends up keeling over by a tree. Raul then gets the attention by saying, "Hey, scuzz bums, over here!" <laughs> and at this point, just makes a run for it. Just as Ravage is about to get Raul. Perceptor, Jazz, and Bumblebee arrive. They are able to get tracks back to the NYC Autobot base, and Prime is brought up to speed on Megatron's plan to modify cars so they can drive on their own. Andy. When was that ever said? Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of the big reveal of this episode. I mean, the, the funny thing about this is when, you know, the whole question comes up of, like, why do the Decepticons want stolen cars? And I'm sitting there shouting at the TV, Battle Taxis Part 2. <laughs> and as it turns out, I wasn't all that far off because this is basically, Megatron was really into those Battle Taxis and now we have a refined version of them. <laughs> now at this point, Teletran has an alert. The, the Decepticon cars have arrived on the bridge going into New York. I don't know which one. I'll just say George Washington for want of a better guess. So they go to meet them so they can stop them from getting into the city. Raul, should be noted, wants to relay some additional information to them, but isn't able to say it quick enough before they roll out. Prime, Blaster and Ratchet arrive at the bridge and start firing on loads of cars. But then the cars, seemingly, question mark, transform into robots that look very similar, Andy, in my opinion, to Cylons from Battlestar Galactica. Uh, you see, you see, you see. My note. I just wrote. Oh no, they're GoBots. Um, <laughs> Even better. <laughs> which was, which was, was, was my take because as it turns out they're kind of rubbish robots. So you know, apologies <laughs> to any GoBots fans listening. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the city, tracks Bumblebee and I've written down Red Alert, but I'm not entirely sure in hindsight. And Inferno begin fighting a whole bunch of robots by the world-famous Chrysler building, literally labelled Chrysler on the outside of it as well, so you know exactly what landmark they're by. Inferno is uh, is put to, to, to use very quickly, putting out a fire in a nearby building. We then see Huffer, Ironhide, and I think Cliffjumper get overrun by another platoon elsewhere. Ratchet is able to get a look at one of the downed non-Cylons, because I never actually called anything. I'll just call them that. Gets a look at one of the GoBots. There you go. Has a look at one of the GoBots and just says, they don't have any brains inside. Prime then deducing they're being controlled remotely. So Blaster activates a jamming frequency and broadcasts it much to, to much success, but to everyone's stress. We then cut to the Decepticon base, where the Autobots' primary goal is simply taking out the base. Prime having the wonderful line, Andy, of We're putting your company into bankruptcy, Megatron. <laughs> a firefight ensues, but Trax is distracted by the fact that Raul has disappeared. 
It turns out he went inside the base to mangle the control panel, but Megatron catches him and uses him as a hostage, ordering the Autobots surrender. But Raoul, conveniently, has a spray can of some foreign liquid, opens up a center panel on Megatron, spray sprays it on him, and Megatron just has a short circuit frenzy for a moment, and is just going... He just is so much pain, quite frankly. But of course, at that point, Andy, we get our traditional Decepticon retreat and Trax blows up the building. We then cut to the same street where the Transformers movie cinema is and the Autobots having recovered all the cars. Uh, sorry, and the Autobots have now recovered all the cars. Sparkplug says it's going to take weeks to get all these fixed up. Raoul, at this point, tries to make a getaway to avoid helping, but Trax stops him and says... I'll help you. And the episode ends with Raoul saying that he won't steal a car again. And then makes jokes about how many times he saved tracks that day. <laughs> episode end. So Andy, I I've, I've talked a lot there. I figured I'd just get through more of the recap if I could. Thoughts on the rest of that episode? I kind of... I, I, I would like Raoul to be a recurring character in this. Like, he seems pretty... Val he, he, he does some good stuff in this episode, to be fair. Like, he has a good point <laughs> about saving tracks and everything else. Like, and, and like you say, guy has some balls on him. Like, you know, <laughs> he just kind of, like, faces off to Megatron, like, multiple times in this episode. Runs into a building that's about to be destroyed. Um, and, you know, you can kind of see why he was getting into trouble with the mafia and what have you because like clearly maybe doesn't have the best sense of danger um but as kind of human characters in this show goes like he's he's pretty good um i like i like tracks just because it's a, he has a pretty cool design um not quite sure how the Decepticons didn't manage to notice that he was in their kind of queue of cars being smashed up, given that he has Autobot symbols everywhere. But, but that's on Rumble, you know. that, because Rumble was the one loading them on. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we, we, have, we have seen Rumble maybe not doing the, the best job of, of menial tasks like that in the past. So, uh, you know, that, that probably does scan, um, but definitely some, some issues there. Um, but yeah, it, it, this episode was fine. Like, it, it kind of went from, like zero to Megatron's plan for this week incredibly quickly after all of the build-up. Um, but I, I, I sort of quite liked it for that of being just out of nowhere. Like, oh, by the way, you know, we're just making some army of cars. I'm like, oh, oh okay, right. I mean, I was literally joking about that two minutes ago, but that's actually what we're doing. Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, again, that is a little bit different from the norm, but animation quality wasn't great in this episode. Like, it's Felt like another one of those ones where it was maybe it overshot what it thought it could deliver um, and kind of struggled with it a bit. And, you know, barring having Transformers a movie on a cinema, it, it didn't it didn't always manage to kind of make that stuff hit. Um, but yeah, it was it was all right. I, I, I like Trax. Trax has a good voice and, and that kind of like helped to, to smooth this one over a, a little bit, I think. I will add that you mentioned Battle Taxis earlier. I'm I'm gonna say that this is Battle Taxis Mark II that we saw today. Absolutely, yes, yeah. I mean, it's it's a clear kind of upgrade on on, on the the concept because now they transform as well, um, and and now it's not just taxis, but uh, you know, again, not did didn't didn't quite didn't quite work out. Not really sure why Megatron thought that one would work because I mean, <laughs> if you made like rubbish robots, they're not really gonna 
they're not really going to do too much damage to a bunch of fully armed Autobots, but uh, ne never mind. Uh, Me Megatron also at this point seems to have quite a soft spot for New York, like much as the writers of the show don't. Like that's twice he's tried to, you know, launch a nefarious plan in, in New York. So uh, clearly, clearly been on a lot of the travelogues he's been watching. <laughs> Do you know, I don't know what I was going to follow up with that. I was going to say maybe, I don't know, maybe it's like, it's, he's only been to a, from what we can tell city-wise, he's only been to a few, like Washington and now New York. And of the two, he's picked New York. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's, it's, it's it's fair enough. I mean, it's, it's good it's it's good fodder to animate New York, I guess, because it's you know it's 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 sort of the city equivalent of your ravine, where you can just have a lot of big buildings and that's it. And then you occasionally just stick Chrysler on the side of one of them, and then people know where you are. But also, just a cityscape like that in general, it just looks really cool as well. Yeah, I mean that that's sort of for for, for the the stuff that isn't so great about the animation. The fact that this is all kind of like set at, at night, pretty much, like it, it has a, it has a vibe to it that I, I think again does vary it up a little bit from the norm. Um, it's just kind of a shame that it didn't quite have the sort of the animation chops to go with that necessarily. Mm. From there, everybody, we now move on to episode twenty six of season two, the Autobot Run. We begin at an indie car race with Chip and Spike watching on having a good time. Chip though has the thought of that it could be even better if the Autobots were to take part, then adds perhaps in a charity race. I think he realised that might have been a bit unfair otherwise. Bumblebee then appears and Spike and Chip begin inquiring about racing to him, but Laserbeak is flying by. We then cut to what I'm describing, Andy, as a dilapidated town, complete with goofy western theme music, where Megatron, with Starscream, Soundwave, and Thundercracker, is asking how long it will take the Constructicons to finish building the Transfixatron! <laughs> I mean, again, we've we've reached a new high point slash low points. Delete as applicable in terms of like names for gadgets. I did. I, I mean, I th this entire scene was just it 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 was a lot for me to take in because a the Decepticons' base this week is the Wild West <laughs> for no apparent reason. Like, there's no real context given for like why we're out there, but like, fine. I mean, it's almost like. I have this weird, like, suspicion that somebody, uh, like, Sunbow or whatever, had some, like, leftover anim background animation cells from some other show, and they were just running a bit short on time. And, like, I'll oh, give them to the Transformers guys. They can they can make something that has the Wild West in it. But I, I have no evidence for that, but that's what I like to believe. And so I was just... My brain was just beginning to cope with the idea that there's this weird, like, Wild West town that the Decepticons are in. And then we get the Transfixatron... And then I almost lost my mind again because that's a great name, a terrible name. I'm really not sure, but it sure is a name. <laughs> also noted at that moment, conveniently, the Constructicons finish the device. It's essentially a gun that looks in similar shape I've written down to the Space Needle, I think it's called in Seattle. It's like that. If you've seen the intro to the sitcom Frasier, it's that very famous structure that you see in the background yeah. where someone's going up the lift, basically. But it's got handles on one side and a gun turret on the other. Laserbeak arrives and reports in about Spike and Chip thinking about the charity race. But Megatron says he will make use of it after, te after testing the Transfixatron. 
Starscream says, Transfixatron my afterburner. And then says, Megatron, you're wasting time because it's probably not even going to work. At which point, Megatron says, what's a test without a guinea pigatron? Some of the lines in this, Andy. I was going to say, this, this this episode really goes places with some of its one-liners. And I, I'd actually forgotten I hadn't written that one down, but there, there, are, there are others that are forthcoming <laughs> that are, are perhaps, uh, perhaps even worse, again, worse slash better than that. Megatron then tells Starscream to transform into his jet form, and he reluctantly does and takes to the sky. Megatron then tests the idiotic contraption, as he calls it. Way to put over your grand plan there, Megatron. (laughs) But after initially feeling nothing, we come to realise that the laser beam that shot at Starscream is now preventing him from transforming at all. He has been transfixed into that state until Megatron decides to reverse it. Starscream has a wonderful soliloquy about how valuable he is to the Decepticons and how he would do anything to have this process reversed. Yeah, I, I made a note here. Like I, we've seen we've seen a lot of like peak simpering Starscream in recent episodes, and I'm one hundred percent here for it. Like I love it when he gets into full like Toady. Like please. Please be nice to me. Um, it's just, it's always fantastic. And it's always, it's always played so well. Um, and, I, and I did really enjoy that in this episode where he, yeah, he just goes full on, like, please put me back as I was. The effect is reversed. And of course the plan is to use it on the Autobots. But Megatron then tells the Constructicons to get to work on the second device. What is it? We, the viewer, will find out later on. Now, I actually want to make a note here, Andy, because I I picked up on this. I don't know if you did, but maybe this is just something I've never known or realised. But Megatron referred to the regular robot mode as their root mode. That's the first I've heard of that phrase. Is that something that's actually canon as far as you're aware? Or is that just a phrase that was used off the cuff? Yeah, I, I can't I can't think of any other occasion where it's been referred to as that. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, but yeah, I mean, I think because even you know the Transformers just refer to it as robot mode most of the time, um, you know, to kind of they're self aware that they're robots, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've, I've I've heard that mentioned anywhere else before. Because mm, I was half debating maybe just using that phrase to refer to that from now on we'll see i might end up just using it interchangeably but wanted to point that out because i felt that was a very interesting use of phrasing there at autobot hq after chip pitched the idea to them the autobots are up for the charity event except huffer who is his usual buzz killer of a self when it comes to absolutely anything Prime, Sunstreaker, Mirage, Ironhide and Gears head out, but Huffer, Ratchet, Brawn and Wheeljack stay behind to guard the base. You keeping up everyone? Because there's way more Transformers to come. (laughs) Prime, Trailbreaker, Mirage, Blue Streak, Gears, Sunstreaker, Hound, Hide, Perceptor, I've put question mark, which I don't think is right. Prowl, Jazz, Sideswipe, maybe Trax? I'm not sure also in hindsight. Bumblebee and Windcharger. Head to the indie car circuit, Andy. That's a lot of Transformers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's to be fair. Like, at least if you're gonna if you're gonna have this as a concept of just like you sh- you guys should have a race. Like, of course you should send basically all of the Transformers. Maybe not Perceptor. Don't think he's gonna be very good in a race, but. <laughs> 
Notably, though, Bumblebee is not racing and is watching from the sidelines with Chip and Spike. Yeah, I did. But to, to go back to that, I, I did love like when the idea of a race was brought up to Bumblebee at the start of this episode. He's like, I'll do it, but only if it's below the speed limit. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh, Bumblebee, you're so you're so dull. But you know why though? Because remember, in a previous, in fact, it was in the Immobilizer because it was the episode with Carly. I think. Remember, he was caught speeding by a police yeah. car. But I mean, I'd l- I'd love to think that that's some kind of like deep cut, and that that's actually like a callback to that. But I'm I'm not sure whether it, it is or not. But still, very disappointing, Bumblebee. Like especially as a like kid's favorite character. It's like, come on, you've you've got to, you know, you're, you're not going to win a race against the Lamborghini Contact <laughs> Sunstreaker. But at least you know, show willing. <laughs> We get a fun race between them all before cutting back to the western town that we have mentioned, where Megatron and co, sans the Constructicons, who are still working on their device, have left for the race. During the race, Skywarp uses his transformation, I say transformation ability, like his transportation ability, there you go, for the first time in what feels like forever, Andy, we haven't seen him use that in ages just to randomly appear in the sky like that. Yeah, he really should use it more because teleporting kind of handy. Like that's quite. Thank a you. That's the word I was hand. trying to think of. And Thank that you. is also yes, the word that you, you're looking to use. Yeah, it's it's very much. It, it is one of the weird things about Transformers sometimes is you have characters that have. I mean, you have like Mirage that has a really cool ability, and he uses it quite a lot. <laughs> and then you've got like Skywalk has a really cool ability, uses it like once a series, and that's probably it. We probably won't see him do this ever again. <laughs> At this point, Skywarp initiates the Transfixatron, and notably, Chip, Spike, and Bumblebee are wondering what the heck just happened because there was some kind of weird coloured hue that went over all of them. Megatron saying, "Now the Autobots can no longer call themselves Transformers." <laughs> the race concludes with the winner being nobody knows because there was too much smoke at the finish line. Yeah, I I, I felt like the angle it was going for is that the everyone's a winner and it's Yay. like no don't don't give me that like i want to know who the fastest transformer is and like you know i'm sure kid me would have been disappointed had i watched this episode grown up me, me also disappointed it's like come on i mean all of these transformers they all had tech specs on the toys like you could have canonically chosen who the fastest transformer is to win and you know it, it could have that you could have made a fun thing about it it's it's I don't know why I'm so frustrated about this, but it's a really <laughs> annoying thing that this episode does because you, you've got a cool idea of like, oh man, what if all the Autobot cars had a race? And like, of course you want to know like who wins it and who almost wins it. They could have had a, a really quite elongated sequence of that and been had a lot of fun with it and then they kind of don't and it's really disappointing. Um, also, I will make note of Bumblebee's attempts to like explain away the weird effect when the Transfixatron is deployed, where he says, it must be an energy evaporation from all the speeds. <laughs> and it's like, this this is why you're not the Autobot Chief Science Officer, Bumblebee, <laughs> because none of this is correct. And that's that's a, a weird but enjoyable line of just like, why are you even, why are you even trying, Bumblebee? I don't get it. <laughs> this is why he wasn't in the race. Exactly. The next charity event is Car Tricks, with Sunstreaker about to recreate the famous Evil Knievel car jumping stunt. Unfortunately, he barely makes it halfway, leaving it to Wind Charger to use a magnetic field to make him land safely. 
Mirage picks up the Decepticons on the radar at this point, and this is when they realize they are all stuck in vehicular mode. Sunstreak is saying, I can't change back to my normal handsome self. Megatron, Starscream, Thundercracker, Skywarp, and I don't know if you notice this, Andy, but Shockwave for a brief moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I've written all in caps. Where did Shockwave come from? Question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark. Because, yeah, like as animation errors go, that was clearly some indistinct, like... I, I wonder whether somebody had written in, like, the storyboards for this sound wave and somebody misread it and, like, oh, yeah, that that one, and put Shockwave in it. Because, he, he, like, in future scenes, he's not there, so somebody clearly messed up. It almost makes me wonder... It could have just been a simple error where they just saw Wave and then they looked through the list and went, oh, Wave, it's got to be that one. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I know my Transformers. Scribble, scribble. <laughs> Oops. So they all land on the track and have fun mocking the Autobots and scaring away the humans before making a beeline for the Autobots specifically to take them out. The Autobots try to roll out and get away from them, but the Seeker Jets are using lasers to, to basically shoot out their tires, quite frankly. Bumblebee, Spike and Chip head back to Autobot HQ. Prime and Co are taken out by Incendiary Blasts, which I don't think we've seen that often if memory serves, but I honestly can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't recall. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's at least one Decepticon that has that ability, but I couldn't even tell you who, but sure. <laughs> Maybe Shockwave. <laughs> <laughs> and Soundwave knocks out their communications before they are all taken away. At Autobot HQ, Chip and Co. have brought the others up to speed, with Huffer continuing to be the wonderful buzzkill that he is before... <laughs> Before then basically going, I told you so, when it came to there being the concept of a charity event. Then, perhaps one of the best lines of the show, ever, Braun has had enough of Huffer, picks him up by the Autobot equivalent of the scruff of the neck, and just says, stifle it Huffer, or I'll put my footio in your audio. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I, I mean, I, I, I feel like, Braun has had far snappier lines than that, but there's just for pure ridiculousness, there is something to be said for that. Also, just enjoyed the way, yeah, he just like lifts Huffer up by the collar, which again, just like, you know, we don't really talk about the, you know, we always focus in on the Discord in the Decepticon ranks. We kind of, we kind of give it a free pass when it's the Autobots doing it. I mean, I, I was, I was thinking about this, um, like, shower thoughts the other day of how like if if you wanted to be like the the decepticon like propaganda group you'd take all of these autobot spotlight episodes where autobots are being jerks and just kind of splice it all together and be like this is what we're fighting against and this is another one of those moments of like you see they say they're all like righteous and peaceful but look at them they're just about to punch each other <laughs> the episode when they're banished and sent into the sun it's like, yeah, like if, if, if Megatron wanted to really put across Autobot propaganda, this is the footage he needed. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't need to fake all, all that stuff that they did. They could have just like recorded some episodes of season two of just like Grapple being moody and like Red Alert going bonkers <laughs> and all of that stuff and just be like, see, that. They're pretty bad as well. Prime trashing a plane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to say I'm not trying to say the Decepticons have some good ideas, but by the same token, you know, the Autobots <laughs> have have their issues as well. 
Chip uses Teletran to analyze the Transformers process data. Wheeljack saying that according to that analysis, the only thing that could affect this is some kind of transfixiation ray, and that, that, that he could devise an ultra-frequency ray to counter its effects. How convenient. Ratchet and Wheeljack get to work. Back at Decepticon HQ, i.e. the western town, it turns out that the Constructicons were working on a car crusher, of all things, to crush the Autobots with, obviously. They show it off... So, they show off how it's used by using what is referred to, Andy, as a Decepticon body shell. I honestly don't know what this was meant to be. I'm just going to assume some kind of giant missile. Yeah, I... I'm I'm not entirely sure because because that I mean that sounds like they have you know some kind of a, a bunch of just kind of you know transformers bodies with no minds that they're just quite happy to slice up or crush when the mood takes them but yeah it's it's a strange again it feels like they were having to stretch around like you know oh well let's have them crush something let's have them crush a car it's like we've set this in the Wild West. Like, there aren't any cars there. I'm like, ah. Uh, and uh, that, that is their fix for the issue at hand. They just go, Constructicons? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like, they, they could have found like some kind of like West, Wild West carriage that they could have crushed instead. But you know, <laughs> maybe not. At the moment that we see, what I'm referring to as the Crushinator, because they don't actually name it, uh, being demonstrated, Hound projects something into the air, like a hologram and such. At which point, that projection appears inside Autobot HQ. I'm guessing this is an ability we didn't know Hound had, but I'll go with it because it's cool. <laughs> They're able to locate where it's being transmitted from, and at that moment, Soundwave realises there is like a radio frequency of some kind being used, and just outright destroys Hound's ray gun thing. Turret. There you go, that's the word I was thinking of. Ironhide is the first victim for the Crushinator. Like I said, not the actual name of the device, that's what I've named it. And while everyone else tries to help, they are no match for the Decepticons while stuck in vehicle mode. At Autobot HQ, the device that Wheeljack has been making is finished, and even he's surprised how quickly he got it done. I almost feel like, Andy, that was some fourth wall breaking there. <laughs> <laughs> and... At that point, we find out it's in the form of a grenade. Sure, why not? To help spread the particles and such quickly. But they don't have time to test it, and despite Huffer's protests, they head out. We cut back to the western town. Ironhide is being lowered into the device. When Prime gets the idea to release Roller from his trailer, and just has him scampering around causing all sorts of distractions, this allowing Prime to now ram the Crushinator... <laughs> And get Ironhide free. Megatron is none too impressed by this. The Decepticons, though, have noticed that other Autobots are arriving and start attacking them. They target Wheeljack, who is carrying the grenade, and they take him down and the grenade goes flying. Spike and his awesome superpowers, which we have established since the beginning of this podcast, allow him to catch it in his hands. Because despite being the same size in Wheeljack's hand, it's also the same size in Spike's hand. Sure, whatever, I'm not going to question it. Soundwave then has the wonderful line of, Give me the grenade, human microbe. 
Spike then throws it to Chip and Ravage goes after him. Ravage is rolling down a hill in his wheelchair and though Ravage tackles him, Chip is able to throw the grenade towards the Autobots that are stuck in vehicle mode. The grenade explodes, the particles disperse around, the Autobots can now transform. The Constructicons then come into action and become Devastator and literally cause some devastation, proper taking it to the Autobots. Cliffjumper, Prime and Ironhide are just grabbed and thrown into buildings. Quite a sight it's got to be said. Wheeljack is able to find Cliffjumper in the rubble and they both make for the Transfixatron as Wheeljack has a theory. They fire a laser at Devastator and suddenly, because of the Transfixatron laser, Devastator is falling apart. Literally, as Wheeljack's theory was that the laser would cause them to separate. I have some questions about how he theorized that, but Andy, again, I'm, I'm just going to leave that to the side. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he's a scientist. You've got to, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to him and follow the science. Exactly. I'm sure it's all very sound. <laughs> we then get the following dialogue exchange. Megatron says, We're outnumbered. Starscream then says, Let me guess, we retreat? <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's one of the great things like as we progress through this season that it's gone from like ah let's retreat to just starscream being really pithy about it it's like <laughs> oh i guess this is the bit where we retreat again <laughs> and they do just that with the episode then concluding with ironhide and trailbreaker destroying the transfixatron and then all of them heading back to autobot hq for repairs as wacky as some of this episode was, Andy, overall, as a concept, this is... I really actually liked this. The, the, trans, the Autobots being stuck in vehicle mode, it's one of those things where why didn't Megatron think of this sooner? Because it's actually a really good plan. Ultimately, the payoff isn't necessarily that great, the way it all gets resolved, like I kind of alluded to at the start of the podcast today. But as a concept, I really, really liked it. Yeah, yeah, it's a fine concept, and again, I mean, you know, the, the the whole, like, Autobots having a race and doing stunts and stuff, like, that's kind of good, you know, kids playing with their toys at home fodder um, that, you know, you can kind of get behind, hence my frustration that they don't really kind of follow through on that. Like, even the stunt bit, like, oh, the crowd seems impressed that Sunstreak was rubbish at being evil Knievel, <laughs> but, like, I was like, well, you know, come on, that was, you're supposed to be, like, incredibly, incredibly good and talented, and that didn't quite come to fruition. Like, I sort of wish it had had a bit more time to, to play with that and to, to, to do some fun stuff there. Um, and yeah, it was, it, it was, it was a decent enough episode. Um, but yeah, it all kind of gets a bit predictable, um, once you kind of get into the, the, the back end of it, but you know, nice to see the grand return of Roller. Um, we did, we did, like I did say, I'm not sure whether we'll ever see him again back in season one, but Optimus Prime suddenly remembers like, oh yeah, I've got, I've got this thing in the back of my trailer, <laughs> um, which, you know, maybe, maybe you could have thought about a little bit earlier. Uh, oh, also just like a really little sad moment where like Ironhide is kind of being led away to being crushed. And he's like, ah, oh, nice knowing you, everyone. And it's like, oh no, f foreshadowing for the movie, maybe. Who knows now? Because, you know, now we've had, <laughs> now we've had a, 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 an advert for Transformers the movie and maybe all of these things are foreshadowing events to come. Do you know what, actually? It will be very interesting now as we go through the remainder of season two if we notice any potential foreshadowing for the movie. Because now, yeah. like, now we've established from our discussion earlier, 
the movie was in production already at this point. So it might be worth us just trying to keep out, like, I wonder if this is a reference to that that happened or similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who's... Who could say? Now, now we're going to be at the point where even if a character says it's all a blur, we're going to be like, aha, aha, you see, that's Transformers the movie. So we're, we're probably going to get paranoid about it now. <laughs> From there, everyone, we now advance to episode 27 of season two. That being The Golden Lagoon. We begin with Perceptor, Power Glide, Beachcomber, Warpath, and Sea Spray making their way along a coastline. The latter two, notably in vehicle mode. Perceptor says, Hold it, I've discovered something. Power Glide responds with, Big deal, a rock. Perceptor responds with, Not just any rock, Power Glide. This specimen has traces of gold and silver. But of course, the Autobots, as usual, have no clue that they are being watched from afar by Decepticons. Specifically on this occasion, Blitzwing, Dirge, and Thrust. They are on higher ground, transform into their respective jet modes, and proceed to attack them. This is the first instance that we get to see Sea Spray, the hovercraft mentioned in a previous episode, in a battle scenario. And I've got to be honest, Andy, for a hovercraft, I think it worked really well in this context. The hovercraft via Seeker Jet was actually really good fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's nice that they found a use for, for Sea Spray outside of the sea. Again, one of those like, oh, I had the Sea Spray toy as a kid, so nice nice to see him doing some, some good work. D- d- doing better than Cosmos, I'm going to say, already. <laughs> And we've barely seen him. (laughs) At this point, the Autobots are sort of respectively fighting a specific Decepticon, which leaves Perceptor left alone to take on a Seeker Jet, and he wants to get help from Beachcomber, knowing that they could be two-on-one in that scenario. But suddenly, Perceptor notices he's gone. We cut to a completely different location. A serene-looking location, you could say. Or as, as Beachcomber calls it, a paradise. He appears from a cave and begins interacting with animals. A genuinely really fun moment, Beachcomber trying to learn how to talk to animals. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah, it's all very cute. It's, it's, it's a really good example of like a tonal shift uh, just from kind of the chaos of like, you know. And by the way, blitz, we, we get some Blitzwing versus Warpath. We get some tank on tank action, <laughs> which I was really enjoying prior to that point. But then, yeah, we're just there with Beachcomber just hanging out. Beachcomber has a really soothing voice as well. Like, I want to sign up to his ASMR podcast, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, unfortunately, several decades too early for ASMR, otherwise Beachcomber would have been quids in. But then, Beachcomber sees some golden water, sticks his hand in, and it turns all gold. It turns out to be Electrum. Meanwhile, the battle with the others is still continuing, but a landslide from rock and debris as a result is causing panic in this paradise location, alluding to the fact it's really freaking nearby. Beachcomber makes tracks, no pun intended from the previous episode, knowing the Electrum must be kept a secret from the Decepticons. But as he leaves, we realise it's literally just a, like a giant mountain away, because... Uh, Thrust, I believe it was, ends up flying over the top and discovers the liquid, diving in and reappearing all gold. Beachcomber then arrives on the battlefield, hiding the details of where he has been. Thrust reappears in his new gold colour and none of the Autobot attacks are having any effect on him whatsoever, causing Perceptor to issue an Autobot retreat. 
but only Beachcomber, Powerglide, and Warpath are able to escape through the cave in the rocks nearby, as Perceptor and an injured Sea Spray are captured and taken back to the underwater Decepticon HQ we've not seen in freaking ages, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I guess they've had to go back to their basics after their Wild West exploits didn't work out. So, <laughs> yep, just back underwater we go. So, take a moment just to pause there. I'm liking the setup so far. I'm, I'm liking the way they've, they've established, like, seemingly, like we alluded to at the start of this podcast, Andy, Transformers can become invincible in some way. And this is a really cool way to set this up. Yeah, it's a sort of... It's, it's such a weird vehicle for it, but it kind of sells you on it. And to be honest, like, as, as we go through this, all, the, all of the Transformers look pretty good in gold, as it turns out. Like, I, I, feel, I feel like there was... Had this been a more modern age and, and more kind of relentlessly capitalistic, we would have seen a whole range of like Transformers figures that were just painted gold and they, they would have resold the kids all of their favourite toys, but now they're in gold. Um, but uh, sadly, I don't think we ever got that, which is, is a shame because that would have been pretty cool. They must have done that, surely. I don't think so, no, I don't think. And again, like just for a one-off kind of throwaway episode, I don't think that's uh, that's ever happened. There's probably somebody out there that has spray-painted all of their Transformers gold in tribute to this episode, but I don't think uh, I don't think there was ever anything official. In fact, let me read you something from the Transformers wiki, Andy, because this might make you jealous in some ways. Under the under the category for this episode's page of toys inspired by this episode. The all-golden chrome colour scheme is a favourite for Takara Tomy, whether it's for lucky draw figures or other exclusives. As a result, this list includes toys explicitly tied to the Golden Lagoon and Electrum. There's an entirely gold jazz figure. There is a, a convoy, Optimus Prime, Starscream, Beachcoma Perceptor Sea Spray, uh, and a sound wave as well, apparently. Huh. I, get, I guess those are quite recent figures rather than... At the time. Uh, let's have a look. The Jazz apparently was around 2002 and looked to be yeah. a lucky draw figure of some kind. Uh, yeah, oh, also was was part of a Diaclone range, not necessarily Transformers specifically, or was like mm, a homage okay. to that yeah. specifically. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would uh, yeah that that would would figure that it was just the, the original toys resprayed. But it's, it's cool that they did something with it. And yeah, now I kind of wish I had a gold jazz or something in but. fairness though the other ones i mentioned apparently were all around 2018 or 2019 from takara tomi hmm. yeah that's uh, that's cool yeah because i mean a, a lot of the like the masterpiece transformers and things they have little accoutrements that are kind of you know callbacks to specific episodes so i guess it makes sense that at some point they went the whole hog even if they were just as like prize figures basically mm. in fact you know what i'm gonna do let me first of all here is a look at the Jazz figure, I believe, that I mentioned from around 2002. Okay, that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. And I will say as well, I will also put these on our Twitter and Instagram as well, and I'll obviously give credit to the Transformers Wiki for it where possible as well, just so you guys can easily find it. And then the other image, which looks really cool, just a whole bunch oh, yeah, of Transformers, okay. like that, that's, that's a lot of the other ones I mentioned, which look really cool. That Optimus Prime looks proper badass. Yeah, yeah, that is, uh, that is pretty... Pretty awesome. <laughs> so there we go. So there's a, there's a there's a fun little tangent to go on for that. I like that. So, Perceptor and Seaspray have been taken to Decepticon HQ. Megatron says that he's very pleased to have, quote-unquote, 
the brilliant scientist Perceptor, and the naval tactician Seaspray as his prisoners, and they are taken away to the brig, we assumed to be interrogated based on some dialogue interaction between the three of them. It's nice it's nice to see that Megatron's finally putting in some effort to like remember Autobot names after his <laughs> botched attempt to pretend to be Optimus Prime where he couldn't remember anyone's name. He's cl- clearly been doing his homework. He's clearly also been on the Transformers wiki, just, just checking it out. At this point, Thrust tells Megatron about the Electrum, and he is already in all gold, so he is showing it's true. Which he, Megatron is very happy about, as it could make them invulnerable. But Starscream needs proof. We then cut back to the Electrum Pool, as I've called it, where Starscream is forced to take the plunge, notably Andy holding his nose as he dive bombs in. I found that quite funny. (laughs) Which allows Megatron to fire at him, which Megatron takes great pleasure at doing. That's a wonderful little bit of character work there. I love that so much. Yeah, yeah, that is very enjoyable. With the test complete, Megatron, Starscream, Skywarp, Thundercracker, Dirge... And of course, already thrust are now all gold and are causing devastation around the serene countryside because they're all firing lasers at each other, but they're ricocheting off each other. So it's just causing devastation all over the place. I I really like the fact that they bothered to animate that and to kind of like show that as an after effect because that was that was really cool. Like it wasn't they could have just kept it cheap, kept it simple, just like, oh look, all the laser, you know, shots are just bouncing off. But the fact that that actually has like a a knock-on effect to the surrounding area, I really enjoyed as just a really nice little touch visually. Mm. I didn't like the local animals being scared to bits though. Well, yeah, I mean, there is that. I, I, I did feel like they should have put a, like, no animals were harmed in the making of this program. Right. At the end of it. But <laughs> I guess I didn't really do that in the 80s. I didn't care so much about these things, sadly. Mm. We then cut to Omega Supreme in rocket launch pad mode, as I have phrased it, with Warpath, Powerglide, and Smokescreen discussing their rescue plan. That being for Perceptor and Seaspray, obviously. Beachcomber is also there, but notably not conversing with them, trying to conceal his hand, which is now the colour gold. Those guys then leave without Omega Supreme. Why? Seems like a dumb idea, but sure. Along with Mirage, who had literally been hiding in plain sight, according to him, Andy, for ten minutes. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't really explain why he was doing that. Again, like, talking about, you know, Autobots being jerks. It's like, why are you... Why are you just like eavesdropping on your colleagues? Uh, it's like, that's probably not, that's, that's not healthy workplace behaviour. <laughs> the now golden Decepticons encounter the Autobot party en route and make very short work of them, to say the least. Mirage, though, notices that something is up and ends up making a retreat in like cloaked mode to get reinforcements. Smokescreen makes a smokescreen as you would predict, and Megatron, quite rightly, as he just sees everyone standing there thinking, what the heck are we going to do? He pretty much just says, shoot the cloud, he's in there somewhere, and they get him. I loved this. It was so simple and great. Yeah, yeah, it's finally, as, as, as somebody who's yeah played, played many a video game where, you know, somebody's thrown a smoke grenade, of course you just shoot blindly into it and hope that something hits. So yeah, like, uh, fair, fair play to Megatron for t- tactical genius of the day. Now back at Omega Supreme, which I guess for this episode, Andy, is Autobot HQ? Question mark? <laughs> Seems like it. 
We see Sunstreaker, Brawn, Hound, Prowl, Wheeljack, Beachcomber, and Gears receive word from Mirage that they are all they, they've all gone into battle. But again, they are made short work of when the Decepticons arrive because of because there's just so much confusion for the Autobots about why their attacks aren't working. Beachcomber though is seemingly the only one to realize that they're all a different color. I'm not even joking, because he's the only one that actually notices this, and he knows exactly what's happened. Back at Decepticon HQ, seemingly all the Decepticons now are gold with an Electrum coating, and are all looking forward to, to the fight to the death between their two prisoners, Perceptor and Sea Spray. All the Decepticons are present, well, everyone minus Megatron, it should be said. And, and excluding Soundwave, all of them are having a great time. But Soundwave indicates that Megatron must be aware that Starscream has organised this battle of the death between the two Autobots. Now, Andy, I feel the need to note. It's really, really cool, this whole idea that every Autobot and, and or Decepticon could become just gold and invincible. You know what the problem is, though? When you've got a lot of Transformers who look exactly the same... And you can only tell them apart by their colour scheme. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is it is the problem when you're trying to sell a bunch of palette-swapped toys, basically. <laughs> because then it's like, oh, yeah, like, Sideswipe and Sunstreaker look the same. A lot of the Seeker Jets look the same. You know, again, Laser Peak and Bustle, Rumble Frenzy, lo lots, of, lots of issues there. But, you know, <laughs> which, yeah, is, is maybe why this is not a two-parter. It almost makes you wonder in hind like when this is just me spitballing a thought here, but it's really cool the designs of the Transformers, but you almost wonder if you would want each of them to have some kind of unique marking so you could tell them apart a little bit. Because it would have made it easier to tell them apart, but even if it's just like, you know, a battle scar or something, or someone's got a particular like shaped shoulder pad or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's just, you know, in, in in service to the toys where they weren't going to spend any money beyond, like, paint this one a different colour. Yeah. I guess that was, you know, that, that was always the primary focus. But suddenly, suddenly falls a bit flat when, yeah, all, everyone's the same colour. We cut back to Smokescreen at this point, who is pleading with Omega Supreme to help them. Omega Supreme simply saying, failure, impossible. We then see Beachcomber return to the now wrecked serene location that he was at and the location of the Golden Liquid, but is quickly ambushed by Blitzwing, who captures him. We then go back to Decepticon HQ and the fight to the death has the Autobots start wrecking the place rather than fighting themselves. But their exit is caught off by Megatron, is cut off, excuse me, by Megatron, who throws his new downed prisoner, Beachcomber, in front of them. Megatron then makes it known that they are all going to launch an assault on Omega Supreme, which Starscream pretty much goes, wait, what? <laughs> Quite rightly as well, I think, Andy. Yeah, I mean, again, we, we have seen what Omega Supreme can do. So even in their kind of current seemingly invincible state, it's, it's fair to have some reservations there. Fortunately for Starscream, though, there was absolutely nothing to worry about. Because I think it is fair to say, Andy, that Omega Supreme got his butt handed to him. <laughs> he was yeah. destroyed. Well, I say destroyed. He was taken out incredibly quickly in this. Yeah, I mean, my notes for this part of the episode read basically, oh, Omega Supreme saves the day again. And my next line is just, 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of those occasions where because Omega the thing is though, this is what Omega Supreme's third appearance technically now in an episode yeah maybe fourth yeah. it's one or the other we've not had any kind of origin for him yet but we know it's a freaking amazing transformer and I appreciate it was an army of Decepticons I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of a fight like even if I get the Decepticons are invulnerable, but even if it had been a little bit tougher for them to overthrow him, I felt that would have just added more credence to Omega Supreme as a as a force, quite frankly. Yeah, they're almost in a weird place here because they have to really sell you on the idea of just like, this is dire straits for the Autobots. Like, the Decepticons are all invincible. Nothing can stop them or even come close to it. And I guess if you have Omega Supreme starting to throw people around, then that maybe reduces that. So I feel like this is one of those weird sort of balancing acts of just like, well, we've shown that Omega Supreme is super powerful. We've put across that, like, even in this state, they're worried about taking him on. So I guess... And also, we're running out of running time in this episode so i guess we'll just have to take him down really quickly um so i suppose it makes sense for this particular use case of him speaking of running time the decepticons without delay head to autobot hq at hq prime ironhide and mirage are flabbergasted to say the least that omega supreme was beaten but teletran is registering the word on screen electrum and Prime knows what this means and sends out survey teams to locate some. We cut to Power Glide, narrowly avoiding being spotted by Decepticons, but he then follows them and discovers that they're all having a whale of a time bathing in Electrum, <laughs> and then they are attacking each other with no adverse effects. He immediately reports this to Autobot HQ. Elsewhere, Starscream is told that his prisoners are at his disposal. Skywarp and Thundercracker then go to the brig to get Beachcomber. But Beachcomber is gone! Where's he gone? Where could he be? They're looking left and right. They can't see him. They don't look up because he's hiding in the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is the classic cartoon hiding place. If you've ever been captured, like, the first thing you do is get up in the ceiling and kind of hang there because it is a well-known fact that the villains will never look at the ceiling to find out where you've gone. He pounced, them, he pounced on them like he was playing a Batman Arkham game or something. <laughs> <laughs> and also took one of their arm guns in the process. Then breaks out Perceptor and Sea Spray and they all make haste blowing a hole in one of, like, the windows of the base. Of course, they're underwater, so water comes flooding in. This enables Sea Spray to utilise his water ability to move through water and such, because he's got the propellers and whatnot, to make a quick getaway. I liked the use of Sea Spray's abilities here, Andy. Yeah, yeah, Sea Spray is kind of like the, the MVP of this episode in a, in a lot of ways. He does some does some good stuff here. Again, unlike Cosmos, um, he's, he's, doing, he's doing good work. You've really got it out for Cosmos, mate. <laughs> we then see Megatron giving a speech about them nearing victory. And seemingly Starscream, Thundercracker and Skywarp basically going, Look, not being funny, we've heard this all before. Can we actually get the job done before we celebrate? <laughs> yeah, please don't jinx it. Now, Andy, to break the flow of the conversation for a second. Starscream, Thundercracker and Skywarp were just in the underwater base where the prisoners escape from. Where are we now? And why isn't Megatron <laughs> angry? 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess Megatron is also aware that running time is short for this episode, <laughs> so he's willing to give it a free pass. Because, um, yeah, this is definitely, we're getting into kind of like, got a lot to wrap up here, let's get moving, let's not worry too much about continuity, just, just, just keep going. <laughs> we cut back to the Golden Lagoon, where Dirge is left to guard the place alone. But at that point, the Autobots all arrive and take him out. And then the Autobots themselves proceed to take a dip. The, De- the Decepticons are at Autobot HQ. They are firefighting against Autobots. Or they're not actually, because it turns out they're literally battling dummies. Then they make back for the lagoon, but by the time they arrive, we see an army of gold Autobots. It looks so great. And then a battle ensues, but notably, the Electrum begins wearing off on the Decepticons, each returning to their regular colour scheme. At this point, Megatron just destroys the Lagoon with that old thing of, if I can't have it, no one can have it, and then blows it up and then proceeds to make their traditional retreat. The battle has been won. The area is utterly destroyed. We see animals looking upset. Beachcomber is rightly split about how he feels about this, and we we have what I'm going to try and describe as being the most down, downly played happy ending. <laughs> because it's like, are you not going to fix this local area? You've just trashed. You do it with every all military bases. Yeah. Are you not going to yeah. plant a tree? You know. Yeah, I mean, again, maybe had this been made in a different time, that's how this would have ended. Because, yeah, it feels like it doesn't really know quite what to do with that, having sort of somewhat enjoyed the fact that, you know, the episode could recall this havoc and destruction, and then suddenly it's like, oh, uh, yeah, we can't fix this one, sorry. Whereas, yeah, you'd have thought they could have, I don't know, had Optimus Prime petting a squirrel and planting a tree or something, and then, you know, it would have been at least a somewhat happier ending. But but no, apparently not. Yeah, because I think even that would have just been like the animals are happy that the Autobots got rid of them. Kind of thing. It would have just... (laughs) Did you know what I mean? Like, it would have just acknowledged... Sorry, I should rephrase that. That the animals are happy that the Autobots got rid of the Decepticons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... Yeah, like... or, Or even found some way to be like, ah, well, you know, we saved... Okay, this this area was destroyed, but their general habitat was saved, so yeah. run over there, little deer and rabbits. But no, it doesn't do any of that. And that's the end of that episode, Andy. I- I'll let you talk for a minute or two now. Any additional thoughts, thoughts overall you would like to convey about this? Um, yeah, I mean, it was... Again, this was very much in the the this is fine kind of thing like it's it's one of those things as, as soon as you you realize what the whole like electron plot point would be you kind of know what the end is going to be that it's going to wear off like it's going to do a kind of like war of the worlds like aha but actually they're not completely unbeatable um and so it was just a case of like waiting it out for for that to happen as a sort of the obvious end point um but yeah i know seeing gold Autobots and Decepticons was cool. Um, as mentioned, like Beachcomber's voice, um, and yeah, this was this was a, a pretty solid, serviceable episode. Um, and you know, it, it had it had a decent back and forth to it, um, even if it had to kind of speed up its pacing somewhat towards the end. But it was it was another one of those like yeah, you know, not, not crazy about this episode, but it was it was solid. It was workmanlike. Yeah, I, I again put this in the category of there's a really good concept there and they were executing it really well 
until a point. And I think the point for me, like I mentioned, was probably how quickly Omega Supreme got downed. And at that point, like you mentioned, it seemingly the runtime was running out a bit. Because that's yeah. when, for me, pacing, continuity and whatnot went a bit all over the shop. Yeah, and, and, and again, you could sort of imagine this one as a two-parter where the end of part one is like Megatron laughing maniacally and being, ah, we're invincible. And, you know, it'd be like, come back tomorrow to find out what do you do about the invincible Decepticons whereas when you squeeze it all into 20 minutes there's not really much time to luxuriate in that sort of because that's sort of the interesting part of it is that game state where the Decepticons are all invulnerable the Autobots are not and like you know that's that's the stakes of like well what do you do how do you turn this around how do you retrieve this situation and that's where it plays into you know you could do more with Omega Supreme you know have a bit more kind of dire straits of like oh my god like we're about to be defeated utterly forever um and then you know kind of turn it around a bit whereas when you're doing all that in one episode it's a lot to squeeze in and so it doesn't really have time for any of that to really hit so from there, we've got one more episode to talk about today. That being episode 28 of season 2, Quest for Survival. We begin at a farm, because that's a culture shock of a location, isn't it? Where a literal army of Insecticons arrive for lunch. Don't tell me those darn locusts are back, says one farmer. Another one responding with, them aren't locusts, them is Insecticons. Obviously, imagine there was an accent there of some kind. I was not going to try and replicate that here. Yeah. Also, I mean, it's, it's interesting because we have so many people in this series that are just still confused by these robots attacking them. It's kind of interesting how educated they are here. Of just like, not only do they know that they're they're Decepticons, they also know the exact you know designation of these Decepticons to know that they're Insecticons. So <laughs> clearly, been doing their homework there. But also, yay, the Insecticons are back. I, honestly, when as soon as they showed up, I thought. Oh, Andy's in for a ride. <laughs> yeah, so weirdly, I think I might have seen this episode. Like, there, there were parts of this episode that I remembered. So I think I might have, like, stumbled upon this somehow. Because I feel like I don't really remember the second half of it. But the first half of this episode, there's definitely quite a lot of sort of deja vu moments for me. Of just like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen some or all of this episode at some point. Quit bugging around, says one of the Insecticons as they blow up a tractor. <laughs> After feasting, we see Huffer, Inferno, Smokescreen, Tracks, Warpath, and Skids arrive on the scene. They're trying to wreck our picnic, says one of the Insecticons. But the Insecticons have them outnumbered because of the obscene amount of clones that they have got in play at this point. The Autobots have to retreat back to HQ to get repaired. Don't lose your cool at Huffer, says Prime, as he's telling everyone not to worry about the situation, as Cosmos, Bumblebee and Spike are on the job, because it turns out they're in space, travelling to the planet Floron 3 to get robotic insecticide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for starters, like, Floron 3 sounds like somebody read that off the back of their toothpaste when they were, like, getting ready for work that morning. It's like, ha. <laughs> like just goes to his wife like hey I found the name for that planet that I was stressing about last night it was right here on my toothpaste tube but also just like yeah the whole insecticide plot point just is incredibly random 
and just th this is probably one of the lazier bits of writing I feel like that we've had from this series of just like ah uh, we, we want to bring back the Insecticons what are we gonna do you know what what are the machinations of this gonna be like I don't know alien robot insecticide yeah sure that'll work <laughs> we cut to them and we cut to them at Floron three excuse me which I've got to say Andy bit of a sidebar. The asteroid which they were at, which I'm guessing that was Floron 3, I don't know. It looked very similar to the Axis base from Gundam. Like, proper old-school Gundam. <laughs> it's the first thing I I'm, thought of. I mean, you know, again, Japanese-produced animation would not be in beyond the runs of impossibility that people who had been involved with Gundam were also involved in some of the design or animation work here. So there may be some weird Gundam deep cut going on there. Or it might mm. just be some some kind of like stock footage or something that they've managed to, to pull together. Who can say? Now, at this point, Andy, we see inside Cosmos, next to Spike and Bumblebee, a literal can of giant... Sorry, a literal giant can of bug repellent. <laughs> this is what they've gone to get. Yep, yep. I mean, we've gone away from all our like fancy science things that you know can be used to fix a problem which is the transfixatron yeah. yeah we're just a bug spray now but just a really big can of it so it's like <laughs> okay well fine but suddenly they're attacked by tentacles now the future jeremy thinking here andy is this the first tease of I, at first i should say i was thinking is this the first tease of the quintessons it turns out it wasn't but that's the first thing i thought of yeah, yeah, I guess that's fair enough. I mean, I, I mean, when I saw kind of tentacles-styled things from a Japanese animation, my mind went elsewhere. Oh, but, Andy. Um, <laughs> don't lower, know, the, don't was... lower the bar here. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Um, so, yeah, but it was... Uh, it, it was... It, it, again, even that sort of felt, felt very kind of like out of nowhere. of Just like, wait, where, where is this episode going at this point? Because we're already kind of been a bit all over the shop with what's actually happening narratively. Now, they're having a bit of a tussle, to say the least, with these tentacles. And they're, they're able to get away. But there are particles or like, you know, bits of tentacles left on Cosmos's body as they're heading back to Earth. We then cut to the Deceptor, un uh, Deceptor, that's not the phrase, Decepticon underwater base, where an army of Insecticons arrive. And based on dialogue from Megatron, he has an Energon transfer machine. Each Insecticon, I should say the, the three main Insecticons, not the clones, they walk into a giant test tube, respectively, and seemingly just have Energon sucked out of them. <laughs> it's the only way I can put it. And it's, and it's converted into cubes, and handed, and they get handed some, which apparently is their cut of the deal that they've made with Megatron, which seems a bit much that they each got one tiny cube when they had so much taken from them. But Megatron citing Andy that it's a costly process, but maybe next time the haul will be a bit better. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be fair, this is the robot that was, you know, like getting hundreds of cars for a thousand dollars a couple of episodes like if nothing else like you know megatron is a master deal maker so you know i, f I feel like we we've got we've, we've learned we've learned something about megatron today like he is very good at brokering deals like you know he should probably go into like 
finance or insurance or something, you know, when he stops trying to overthrow the planet. Or just be a used car salesman or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, just slaps <laughs> the top of the car. You can fit so much energy on into this bad boy. <laughs> the, Insect- the Insecticons are less than impressed. And then Megatron, as he walks into another room, with seemingly a boatload of Energon emanating from a, ma- a machine, which we assume is the Energon converter, says, if the Insecticons had brains, they'd be dangerous. Which is really harsh, because the Insecticons have been super smart every time we've seen them. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I feel like Megatron not not really giving them their due. And, and also... I don't know. Again, this this is this episode particularly kind of bugged me with every pun intended um, for for like it's kind of it's writing because I mean the Insecticons kind of like know that something's up, but like none of this really feels like it makes sense. Like why are the Insecticons walking into this bad deal that they kind of like they seem like they'd be smart enough to know that they were going to get shortchanged, and you know it kind of throughout this episode it continues to be the like well we don't really trust. Megatron, we don't really trust the Decepticons. So why are you doing this? Like I don't none of this really adds up to me in terms of like, you know, motivations or anything for any of it. Yeah, also just from a character standpoint of the Insecticons, at this point they've been screwed over by Megatron a good few times now. Yeah. Would they not perhaps want a bit more of like, you know, a clear-cut understanding of how this deal is going to go? Yeah, that's that's. I think that's that's exactly what makes this feel weird. Because there's a way you can sell people in on that of like, you know, oh, this this time, you know, this is this is legit, and we've got the opportunity to get something really special out of this. But like, doesn't seem like the Insecticons are really wanting for Energon, and so like, I don't really see what Megatron is offering in this deal. Like, even if you were to take it at face value. So, you know, but hey, I mean, you know, if if, if Megatron is, is so persuasive that he can buy so many cars for a grand, then, you know, I guess, you know, clearly quite the smooth talker. Mm. Back in space, those particles, like bits of tentacles that I mentioned, they've grown a lot and they're overpowering Cosmos's ability to control himself because now Cosmos has no power, quite frankly. Bumblebee and Spike are told to get into the ejector chamber... Didn't know Cosmos had one of them, but sure. And this allows Cosmos to crash land while the other two safely land. Can, can, can I just make my point about Cosmos being rubbish here? Because I was, once again, Cosmos has been rubbish. <laughs> I was going to say, on your bingo card, everyone, if you wanted to cross off Cosmos is captured, I will allow it for this. Because I think based on what we're going to say, this counts. Would you not agree? Yeah, I mean, my bingo card just says Cosmos is rubbish, and I just <laughs> tick that off on a on a regular basis at this point. Which, again, for people who are maybe joining this episode, I had the Cosmos toy and I really liked it, which is why I'm so disappointed with actual, like, you know, cartoon form Cosmos. You're not he, angry with him, you're just disappointed. <laughs> I Exactly that. Like, you know, all of, all of my childhood dreams were stored away in that little green toy, and now I've learned that everything that I thought was true was a lie, and I'm very, I'm very sad. <laughs> Upon landing, Bumblebee and Spike eventually find Cosmos, and he's completely engulfed in tentacles, unable to transform. They head back to HQ to get help. 
At HQ, Teletran has detected massive quantities of Energon at Decepticon HQ. Bumblebee and Spike arrive, but it turns out Bumblebee has also got trace particles of this weird tentacle plant on him as well, because he's scratching it like he's been bitten by a gnat bite or something. Ratchet is able to remove some of the particles, and Perceptor begins analysing. But then they see that the plants have completely taken over the valley where Cosmos was. Because, you know, video feeds and such. And man, Andy, those plants are growing quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they sure they sure are. If, if only they could, like, you know, capture and use that technology to rebuild the forest that they destroyed in the last episode, eh? Right, there you go. <laughs> Prime leader team to the valley, but Laserbeak spots them on the move and reports back to Soundwave that they are en route to get robotic insecticide. And there is an alien plant life form as well. But Megatron has no interest in the latter point of the alien plant life. And makes off for the insecticide, which he says he may have use for. At Autobot HQ, Perceptor identifies the plants as... Morphobots. That's the name that they went with, everybody. That's I mean, inter- that I, I find that weirdly interesting simply because of the fact that, like, in Transformers universe, usually anything that is sort of malevolent or malicious or even kind of a nuisance gets, like, con as its uh, suffix. So it's interesting that they're not called Morphicons, but they're called Morphobots. But I anyway, never thought of that. Me. Now you mention it. <laughs> hmm. It's also noted that uh, apparently they thought that they were an extinct species. And and they also relay the fact that they are capable of devouring any robotic form to Prime, which uh, you can imagine Optimus Prime is having that sort of note of, uh, fine, sure, fine, you know, because it's not a problem already, you know? Yeah, it's like, well, at least it's only Cosmos in there. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, additional note that Perceptor is theorising that that the Morphobots probably left their home planet, probably because they'd eaten it dry, and they were trying to get sustenance from another planet, so that's why they were just randomly on an asteroid. Elsewhere, Thrust is told to inform the ridiculous amount of Insecticons a warning from Megatron. I don't know why, Andy. I wrote this down verbatim. Okay? The Autobots have acquired a robotic insecticide, which is capable of destroying you and your forces. You are not to go near the valley northeast of here, just over those mountains. Once he destroys the insecticide, he will let you know it's clear. Then you may continue on any path you wish. End quote. I thought that was a fairly, you know, succinct d- delivery from Thrust there. I thought it was, a, it was a good message. But boy, does he, like, lead that thing of, don't go to that valley, the one just over there. Don't do don't, don't you do it. Don't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, th- th- t- turns out to be a pretty good messenger. I mean, I, I, I would say, like, c- could have been an email, but, you know, fair, <laughs> fair, fair, fair play that he, he made the, the effort to journey over there to let them know in person. Could have been a WhatsApp message, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Insecticons, though, don't buy this warning for a second and confront Thrust and even attack him, leading to Thrust attacking them, then retreating. The Insecticons are sure they are being deceived, so follow him. So, f- so follow him. Meanwhile, the Morphobots have completely engulfed Cosmos, and his distress signal is somehow emanating from somewhere, and is discovered by Soundwave as the, De- the Decepticons are flying by. Quote unquote, 
So let's find this Autobot junk heap and see if he's got the insecticide. I'll clear this overgrown spinach patch in a flash, says Starscream before he attacks the Morphobots, despite Megatron telling him not to. Also, the blast reflects back at him, and then the Decepticons have a mighty laugh at Starscream's expense. <laughs> that yeah. was a fun oh. moment. Also very interested in how like how much Starscream knows about spinach. Like that's a very specific <laughs> cut from a robot that doesn't you know eat anything of, of of that kind. I mean, I thought you were going to mention the fact that he referred to Cosmos as a junk heap, and I thought you would have taken umbrage with that in some way, or rather, taken liking to that. <laughs> well, yes, yeah. I mean, it's it's accurate as as things currently stand. So. <laughs> And at that moment, Soundwave detects the Autobots are inbound. So the Decepticons hide and let the Autobots do all the heavy lifting to come. Warpath tries to clear a path, but to no avail. And Ironhide's liquids, which they hypothesized may be some kind of weed killer that could work, sure, uh, only stops their movement for a brief moment. That being the movements of the Morphobots, I should explain. Blaster then begins playing some music, which Prime begs him not to do, but the music works, and the Morphobots hate the music. Ironhide uses nitrogen as they're all trying to make a path through all of the Morphobots to temporarily freeze them, and then they are able to free Cosmos. Prime, once they're to safety and whatnot, says, Good work, Blaster, you've just gone platinum. Yeah, which I mean, that's that's quite. At least, at least we've now like established that the you know Optimus Prime does know something about the music industry and isn't just like grumpy about all music. But I did write in big letters about like Optimus Prime really hates Blaster's music. Like you know, he was he was rough enough about it like the other episode, but he's still just very much on that train of just like this is awful. I hate this, even when it's like actually working to his benefit. Exactly. The insecticide is handed to Prime, and that's the cue for the Decepticons to attack. Megatron is able to destroy the can of insecticide in, uh, in the process of this melee. Quote-unquote from Megatron at the thought of, of humans starving as a result of this. That just breaks my energon converter. <laughs> but at that moment, the tables turn, as Megatron is grabbed by one of the Morphobots and dragged away. He then shouts towards the Seeker Jets, Don't just stand there with your cockpits open, you fools! <laughs> I mean, that that line, like, <laughs> one of the things that I think I mentioned before that I love about all these kind of, like, you know, kids' cartoons is where they're kind of being rude, but not. And that is, like, absolutely perfect, like, A-tier. <laughs> you, you, you know what they're actually saying. Um, but it's just like just just tweaked just enough that uh, that you know that the, the kids in the room are, are not gonna take it at that face value. On on which like this is kind of like cutting back to a previous episode. Like I don't think I've ever heard anybody use the phrase like scuzz bucket or anything like that outside of kids TV. Like I'm sure that's not an actual kind of like slur or like swear word or anything for anybody i'm sure it exists only for television because that's the only place i've ever heard anybody call anybody a scuzz bucket or a scuzz anything um please write in if i'm wrong but that's definitely not <laughs> something i've ever heard anywhere else outside of cartoons and kids tv shows 
The Morphobots then just throw Megatron away, and the Insecticons at this point arrive, but bypass them? That being bypass all the action, I should say, because they see a delicious-looking forest. They suspect Megatron has been trying to hoard the forest, and they are very hungry. Now this is a gourmet meal, says one of the Insecticons. But the Morphobots suddenly are going a bit more... I'll say feral, for want of a better word, Andy, because we now see they've got, like, you know, the, the centre of them opens up like a plant, and they're, they're, quite funny, they're just dying to eat the Insecticons. Like, they are really excited. And it turns out they really, really like insect robots. How convenient. So, remember that entire army of Insecticons that we were talking about? That army is now gone because all of the clones are just eaten up luxuriously by these Morphobots. So the Morphobots have consumed all of them and at this point the Decepticons and Insecticons do their traditional retreat because they have lost. Now, despite saving the world from the Insecticons, the Morphobots are loaded onto a ship which Optimus Prime, I believe, said is bound for a robot-insect-filled planet. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. But it turns out they didn't get all of them because Perceptor is currently being overrun by the couple of samples which have now grown inside Autobot HQ as the episode draws to a close. Andy. Optimus Prime is a great bloke. Optimus Prime is the jewel when it comes to, you know, when it comes to, to all this is good and good nature and wanting to help people. He sent... These ro he sent these Morphobots seemingly to a planet to kill the planet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I seem to recall Optimus Prime's motto is freedom is the right of all sentient beings. I guess he just <laughs> doesn't count insects. I guess Optimus Prime is the kind of guy that really cares about animals, but also just smacks a spider with his slipper whenever he sees one in, in the arc. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, there's definitely... You know, th th there are quite a lot of problems with this episode, and that feels like a particularly egregious one that the writers have kind of written themselves into because they've been left at a point in, in time where if Optimus Prime is just like, ah, kill the plants that are like trying to find a planet to live on, he's going to look bad. If he sends them somewhere where they can feast and live, he's going to look bad. And it's like, ah, yeah, this was maybe not the best the best plot device. You maybe didn't think, think this one through to its conclusion. So that wraps up that particular episode. Uh, Andy, thoughts overall. Again, I... In fact, you know what? No, let, let me split up this way. You mentioned earlier that the plot was kind of going all over the place. I was really into the concept of these Morphobots because it's something different. It's from a different world. In a weird way, you could almost compare it to the trouble with Tribbles from Star Trek. <laughs> In a really roundabout way about it, you could. Yeah. I mean, ironically, I was going to start the pet petition here based off of something you said earlier to officially rename this episode like A Tussle with Tentacles. Um, <laughs> and it was at least partly in homage to that and partly just because it sounds good. <laughs> I don't know where to go from that. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I liked this episode overall. Still not the greatest by any means. And I think the Insecticons ultimately was almost just like that was their logical conclusion. It almost feels like they knew how they wanted to end it, but they had to figure out how to start it. That's almost what it feels like to me. 
in some ways. But I like the episode overall. Had some good moments and such. But um, but yeah, not not groundbreaking, but a fun concept nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, this one particularly, like, even out of these episodes felt really messy and disjointed to me. Like, it felt like it didn't have a lot of the connective tissue that it needed to make things work. Like, like we talked about with sort of, you know, Megatron's whole plan and kind of pulling the wool over the, the Insecticon's eyes. That just sort of felt like a vehicle to get those two parties together rather than anything more coherent. Like, you know, the whole appearance of the Morphobots, that part kind of made sense. That sort of followed through. But every step of it just felt a bit kind of decoupled from the last. And it, it, it almost felt like something where somebody had written all the, the bullet points out on the board, but nobody could really figure out a way to join them together in a way that was particularly satisfying. It's like, even as, as a fan of the Insecticons, as, as we have been throughout this podcast, they don't really get to do anything particularly cool. Like, you think of the awesome stuff that they've done in previous episodes, where you really get to see, like, their power and ability and kind of the sheer variety of things that they can do to mess with the Autobots or the Decepticons if they so wish. And you kind of don't really get any of that here. They just feel like they're just strength in numbers. Um, so all of that is kind of a bit disappointing. And yeah, it just kind of, you know, it, it just sort of all sort of fizzles out as a result of that. Like, I was not particularly invested in all of it. Um, I, I did... My, my One of my favourite lines from this batch of episodes was like when the... the Morphobots kind of attach themselves to Cosmos and Spike just says, I'll never eat salad again. Um, there's there's also a great, like, sassy Starscream moment later here where I think Megatron, like, tells him to... Sh I can't remember whether it's telling him to shoot the Morphobots or the Insecticons after telling him earlier not to, and Starscream's literally like, you told me not to shoot them before, so I'm not going to shoot them. <laughs> and it's just, like, really good I think sassy. that was, um... I think that's when he was being dragged back after after the cockpit line. I think it was that. That's, it was the Morphobots. Yes, yeah, that's right. It's when Megatron's being dragged away, and he's like, shoot them. It's like, well, you told me not to, so <laughs> sorry. Uh, which is good, like peak sassy style screen, which I, I also enjoyed. So a, a few, a few little highlights, but yeah, this this felt like a particularly weak episode overall to me. So there we go, everyone. That concludes that particular episode. But next time we move on to episodes twenty nine through thirty two of season two of the Transformers, of which Andy we have the following episode titles. The Secret of Omega Supreme. Finally. I'm looking forward to this. Episode 30, Child's Play. I have I don't know what the plot is, I can imagine based on that title. Episode 31, The Gambler. I don't know what that could be. I've got ideas as to what it could be, but in terms of how it could link to Transformers, heck if I know. <laughs> Yep, it's, it's where Buzzsaw starts betting on the horses. That's going to be my, my theory. Is it the return of, like, Sir, Sir Rumble and Sir Ramjet? <laughs> <laughs> and, if only. And episode 32, The Search for Alpha Trion. Yeah, I, 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 I suspect there are very few kids who of a certain age who have not watched that episode on VHS because I, I in my neck of the woods, you could find that anywhere and everywhere. Like, I feel like that was... That was one of the Transformers VHSs. Um, likewise, the, the Omega Supreme episode, I seem to recall getting a lot of uh, a lot of play. But but the search for Alpha Trion, like I, I remember watching that quite a lot as a kid. So actually, a couple of episodes here that I, I definitely have seen before. So that'll be fun to revisit. 
I'm looking forward especially to the Omega Supreme and Alpha Trion ones. I don't recall anything about them, but I'm just, as soon as you, I see those words like Omega Supreme and Alpha Trion, it's like, oh, we're getting to some really good stuff. Yeah, all, all I can really remember about Alpha Trion is that he's got a beard. So that's, Fair. you know, yeah. spoilers <laughs> everyone, but Alpha Trion has a beard. <laughs> So there we go. Andy, before we wrap up this episode of the podcast, any other random anecdotes, thoughts, notes that you have that you want to convey? Uh, no, no, I don't think there's, there's anything else for, for these. I think we have, we have covered all of the, the fun times to be had and the slightly stupid times to be had. I just hope Cosmos is going to be good in one of our next batch of episodes. That's all, all I hope. Like I, I don't, I don't like to be the guy that keeps ragging on him, but you know, it's really somebody, somebody has to, me. Somebody has to chronicle these things, and you know, the difficult task falls to me. Sadly, the chronicle of Cosmos. <laughs> I mean, that would be a good episode title as well. They should have hired you to write Transformers episode titles. <laughs> so I will conclude the episode by saying, uh, actually, a little fun anecdote, which I'm taking from the Transformers wiki, about the episode we covered today at the Autobot Run. You know our favourite word, the Transfixatron? Mm -hmm. I'm going to read the following note for you. The synopsis for the Autobot Run, included in the series production bible, reveals that the Transfixatron was originally going to be named the Stasistron. I was hoping that I was hoping that there was going to be a, an explanation of why they didn't call it that, but I guess they maybe just decided stasis was too complicated a principle for kids on a, on a cartoon. And it's like ah oh, no, transfix people will maybe get that a bit more. Hmm. I mean, also I've got to say, transfixatron is actually ironically easier to say than stasistron. Yeah, I to be fair, I think it is a better name for it. Like it feels very lowest common denominator, but it also just kind of works and it does roll off the tongue a little bit. And you know, Transformers, Transfixatron, it it all it all fits together quite nicely. It also notes on here that on the model sheet it was misspelled Satatron. <laughs> well, that probably didn't help with them like changing the name <laughs> if nobody could spell it right. So maybe that explains a lot. So there we go, folks. Thank you very much for listening and or watching this edition of the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us, make sure you hit us up on Twitter and Instagram. We are at StarscreamsPod. And of course, you can drop us an email at StarscreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, you've been watching Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care. Bye everyone, and I'm sorry if you're listening, Cosmos. I don't mean it. You're 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 fine.